Hey everyone, here's our first episode of the newest Toledo Matters media program, the 419 Podcast. It's a storytelling series on the history of Toledo. Make sure to like on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. We hope you enjoy. My name is Danny Woodcock. This is the 419. Between 1877 and 1923, five presidents were elected from the state of Ohio. Rutherford B. Hayes, James A. Garfield, William McKinley, William Howard Taft, and Warren G. Harding. Five presidents, five decades. With each president, more and more of the sort of corruption you might associate with politics came about. By the Prohibition era, this corruption found its way here, to Toledo, Ohio. On this episode of the 419, we're going to take a peek into history and some of the gangsters that took hold on Toledo in the early 20th century, starting first with Joseph Urbatus. Being a central hub to railways between Cleveland, Chicago, and Detroit, Toledo became somewhat of a revolving door for criminals and gangs, and eventually, staple for crime itself. On February 17th, in 1921, the biggest single crime in Toledo history took place. Here's Matt Muha with more on that. The Toledo branch of the U.S. Postal Service was located on 13th Street in between Madison and Jefferson. On February 17th, 1921, it's reported that five men inside of a stolen car followed a delivery truck from Union Station to that post office. They ambushed the postman upon arrival, ordering the workers to the floor and threatening to kill them. The workers laid flat. The truck was full of 10 pouches containing private securities, jewelry, cash and bonds, and federal banknotes. No shots would be fired and the gang would escape untouched. The money would be spread out quickly. Eventually, traces of the stolen cash and bonds would be found in Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and even here in Toledo. A former Toledo priest was caught up in the heist. Reverend Anthony Gorick said he took funds to feed his starving parishioners. Herbatus got away with what would be over $12 million in today's money, or just above one mil in 1921. Four days later, on February 21st, on a train from Toledo to Chicago, Joseph Urbatus and 17 other men were taken into custody. He would be sentenced to 80 years in federal prison. But Urbatus had other plans. While awaiting his transportation to an Atlanta federal holding facility, Urbatus would escape from the Lucas County Jail. Joseph Urbatus proved to be quite elusive, running from the police for three years until 1924 when his luck ran out. While trying to help his brother, Frank Urbatus, escape his recent incarceration in Columbus, Ohio, Joe found himself in a shootout. His wounds would send him to the hospital, 
where he avidly denied his identity, but eventually was taken into police custody and on trial back home in Toledo. This time, he'd be sentenced to face 60 years. While in prison, Urbatus attempted to escape a number of times. In July of 1927, he would smuggle two pistols, 100 ammo cartridges, and nitroglycerin into prison. He attempted to blow a hole in his cell wall and escape, but that plan proved to fail. Plan B, he and two other inmates built a ladder and took two guards and the captain as hostages, demanding their freedom. A third guard would force them into submission, foiling their plot. For this escape attempt, Urbatus would spend 31 months in solitary confinement. After being released to the general population and being deemed a ringleader of even more escape attempts, Joseph Urbatus would be transferred to the infamous Alcatraz prison in 1934. His file would arrive on Alcatraz Island with a note. He's a gangster and a bandit leader and exerts a bad influence. For this reason, he is unsafe to mingle and mix with other prisoners. In 1943, Joseph Urbatus would be released and travel home to Toledo, Ohio. Urbatus would operate an unlicensed nightclub, the Bone Air Supper Club, now the Woodville Army-Navy surplus store. In 1946, he would be violently attacked, shot down in his very own supper club. Those gunshot wounds would send him to the hospital, where he would receive treatment but refuse to name his attacker. Eventually, Joseph Urbatus would die on November 5th, 1946. Next, on the 419, the story of Toledo's deadliest gang, the Purples and Yanni Licavoli. During the Prohibition era, the Purple Gang was Detroit's most powerful crime syndicate, a mob for all intents and purpose. Responsible for violence across the city and hijacking booze cargoes as they passed through, the Purples decided to expand their operation into Toledo. They sent one of the meanest sons of bitches in the country down. After serving three years in Canadian prison for trying to conceal weapons into the country, Thomas Yanni Licavoli came to Toledo, Ohio. Previous to the Purples coming to town, Toledo operated like a fairly mild prohibition city, with Jimmy Hayes at the helm of it. Speakeasies and illegal gambling paid off politicians and policemen, allowing small-time mobs their opportunities. But in 1930, Yanni purchased what would become the Golden Rose Supper Club, in Point Place on 121st Street. The club featured exotic decorations and gambling suites on its second and third floors. It wasn't soon after the Golden Rose opening that Jimmy Hayes conferred with his lawyers and police friends to take down Yanni Licavoli's operations in his territory. Police would run nightly raids in the Golden Rose Supper Club 
until they found what they needed to shut down the operation. This frustrated Yanni, but even more frustrating was his uncertainty towards who was behind such raids. So, he took out these frustrations on Jackie Kennedy. Jack, as he was affectionately referred to by Toledoans, was vocal about his opposition towards Lacavelli and the Purple's presence in Toledo, and a fan of the public eye, which made him an easy scapegoat. In retaliation, Yanni ordered the killing of Jack Kennedy. On December 1st, 1932, Jack Kennedy and then-girlfriend Louise Bell were sitting in their car along Superior and Jackson Street, what would now be the backside of the Valentine Theater. A hail of machine gun fire burst down upon the vehicle. Jack Kennedy would make it out alive, but Louise Bell, not so fortunate. This angered Jack, and he was quick to fight back. Jack Kennedy and company beat a known Purple Gang hitman, John Mirabella, right in front of the Purple Gang headquarters, located on Monroe and Michigan Street, near what would now be the Paula Brown shop. This beating left a bad mark on Yanni and the Purples, and the city rallied around it. Yanni was practically done for. That was until 1933. It was July 10th at 8.30 p.m. when Jack Kennedy and then-girlfriend Aubrey Calls walked to the grocery store on Edgewater Drive to replace their sour milk. It is written that Jack Kennedy was wearing white trousers and house slippers, and Aubrey was wearing lavender silk beach pajamas on their walk to the store. Hand in hand, the couple walked. The following is a description Aubrey Calls had of what happened next. At the moment, I was fussing about cobwebs that were getting on my face and arms. Jackie laughed, trying to help me brush them off, and we resumed walking. We were just soldering along slowly with our hands clasped. The first thing I knew was someone grabbed me. He put his hand across my mouth and shoved me away. Then I heard a shot. I thought someone had tossed a firecracker. Then another shot. By the time I had been shoved several feet away, I screamed and covered my face with my hands. But I saw them shoot. It all happened quicker than I could describe it. I heard five or six shots, perhaps eight. I tried to keep them from looking, but I couldn't help myself. Oh, they held their guns so close to his head and kept shooting. Jack Kennedy had been murdered. Toledo had lost its white knight against the Lake of Oli and Purple Gang Stronghold. Lucas County Prosecutor Frazier Reams quickly assumed the role of Toledo's city protector. Reportedly not opposed to bending the law in order to protect the public, Reams went straight after the Lickabola gang. Prosecutor Reams ordered all illegal operations be halted in Toledo. Gambling, bootlegging, prostitution, the whole lot of them. He encountered some opposition from Toledo PD. When ordering the seizure of illegal Purple Gang assets, Sheriff Krieger and Toledo Police Chief Wolf decided they weren't able to locate any. Razor Reams believed so strongly in this fight, he told Krieger and Wolf that if they weren't able to locate those assets, he'd be happy to show them himself.
Frazier Reams' hard stance on crime eventually led to the conviction of top Purple Gang affiliates, Jacob Firetop Sulkins, Wop English, and eventually Yanni Licavoli. Thomas Yanni Licavoli would spend almost all of the rest of his life in prison. In 1969, Ohio Governor James Rhodes would commute his sentence from first-degree murder down to second-degree, making him eligible for parole. A decision not well received by the public, it was often put into question. Life magazine ran a special on May 2nd, 1969, outlining Yanni's time inside prison, and alluded to a possible cause for Rhodes's outlandish decision. They identified existence $150,000 free Yanni fund that had been previously offered to public officials by Cleveland mobster Al the Owl Polizzi. In 1971, Yanni would be released for parole based on poor health. And two years later, on September 17, 1973, Yanni Licavoli would die in Gehanna, Ohio. The Prohibition era brought a lot to Toledo. The city's first skyscraper, expansion to the Toledo Museum of Art and Toledo Zoo, one of the world's largest automobile manufacturing plants at Willie's Overland, the original glass bowl stadium, and so much crime. This has been a Toledo Matters Media Production. For more podcasts about Toledo, check out ToledoMatters.com. This episode of The 419 was produced by Matthew Muha and Nathan Lewis. Special thanks to Cameron Hyde for voicing Aubrey Calls. Research and much of the information present in this episode comes thanks to our friends Larry Meyer, Zach Vassar, and Taylor Dungeon. Additional research conducted through the Toledo Blade, Toledo.com, Newspapers.com, and a couple books, Unholy Toledo by Harry R. Illman, Historical Tales of Toledo, told by Clint Mock, and Alcatraz, Gangster Years by David A. Ward. To see a special newspaper photograph Jack Kennedy's body in front of a crowd that we found during our research. Check out the link in our show notes or visit toledomatters.com slash the 419. And thank you for tuning in and making Toledo matter. Until next time, we wish you well. <laughs>